Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. A lot of movie news uh, coming down the pike the last couple of days, but we are here once again, I guess, doing an Oscar Sprint profile. Uh, is this an Oscar Sprint profile, Mike? Yeah, why not? All it's right. got a chance. Golden Globe comedy or musical uh, categories for sure. He's probably going to do that. So yeah, we'll call it an Oscar Sprint profile. Why not? We should have talked about that before we hit record, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> we're covering the King of Staten Island today. Judd Apatow's latest movie starring, of course, Pete Davidson that was released uh, via Universal on premium video on demand. There is other movie news in the zeitgeist. And we know usually at the beginning of the week, uh, we have kind of conditioned you to get used to a Mike, Mike and Oscar weekly news update. So with that in mind, there are some quick news stories we're going to hit because they are pretty big uh the biggest two of which wonder woman from warner brothers officially announced its new release date that's going to debut this year wonder woman 84 is going to take place on october 2nd and warner brothers moved another one of their big tentpole movies though maybe not as far back as we expected tenant does move it will no longer premiere july 17th but it still will make its debut in july as it moves back to having its opening date on july 31st i am your co-host mike one i throw it to co-host also mike for his thoughts but he wants to talk about bears so go ahead mike yeah i could talk about the oscars <laughs> which is what people pay to see us but i actually have a bear story and i was very excited to tell this bear story even though it's not a good bear story it's just you know a bear story mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i'm sitting out at noon yesterday outside on my deck i look up and a bear is literally like five feet away from my deck. Now, this is not a huge bear. It's a black bear that's like slightly bigger than a big dog. But it's big. So like do you think it, it was like a up, baby bear? Like was mommy nearby? Yeah, it almost looked like a baby bear. It's not Yogi. It was Boo Boo. Okay. So <laughs> if he stood up, though, he would have been as tall as me. He had long arms, long legs. He was thick. You know, I wonder if he was going to like the strawberries because I lived on I live on a street that is known for world renowned pumpkin patch, strawberry yes. picking, blueberry picking. You know, we call it world renowned, but nobody really thinks well, it's that. pretty famous in the state, at least. Yeah. So I wonder if it smelled the strawberries. That's what me and neighbors were saying. I felt like an old fogey yesterday because I was talking to neighbors all day because after it happened, you know, I know from walking the dog around the yard, you know, I know that the kids play out in the yards all day. So I kind of drove around. And I, I, I texted all the people I knew. And then I drove around. I was like, hey, there's a bear. I just got visions of you driving around your neighborhood. Bear! Bear went here! So I, I, I took a video right at the end. I put it on Twitter. And like, so I looked up at this thing and I had my dog on the deck with me. And the only thing I said was, Bindi, get back in the house. Like, Bindi's <laughs> going to open the door. Everything was closed. <laughs> This is how stupid I was at the moment. Bindi, get back in the house. And I, you know, telling at my dog, the dog doesn't even see it. The, this, this pug is so spoiled, just sunbathing out in the, <laughs> out in the deck. You know, it's on its side. She doesn't even look up at me. There's a fucking, what a worthless guard dog this is. There's a fucking bear, literally five feet from me. And when I said that, the bear doesn't stop, but it turns and looks at me. And we have a moment, Mike. <laughs> There's like this. Yeah, I mean, if this was a movie, there would be hyper. There would be hyper. There would be close-ups. There would be close-ups. So I half expected this bear to actually start walking up the deck stairs at that point because it was right next to the deck stairs. Somehow I got my phone together and I caught it just as it was passing. You know, the the side of the house, and I I put that on Twitter. There, some neighbors sent me photos that they got, so I put that on Twitter too. So if you want to see the evidence of my bear story, there's a little you know boo boo black bear. <laughs> 
had passed us. <laughs> and it was just, it's just absurd. It's just absurd that that still, that can happen where I live in Connecticut, folks. Yeah. Well, there, there has been wildlife. I, that's been one of the positives. And not only it's happened in my neck of the woods too, but it's been happening all over the country and the world. People in lockdown, there's been all kinds of videos of animals kind of roaming the streets freely, which they haven't done in decades because people just aren't around. I know my personally, my backyard, I've had wild turkeys, deer, a bobcat once. We've had all kinds of animals roaming on back there. We, we live right next to a farm ourselves because some stereotypes are true. So uh, that's what's, yeah, there's been animals all over. I did a Google search yesterday after like, what else is, is, is up here? You know, just curious. And I, and I, and I searched like moose in my town. I searched like bobcats and, and, uh, you know, literal mountain lions, you know, in Connecticut yeah, yeah. and sightings from like the last couple of years. So I guess this has been here all along. I mean, Sasquatch might be next. That's what I was half thinking. <laughs> no, that's like, just I, your brother getting out of the shower. Don't worry about that. <laughs> 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 I just thought I was gonna have. I was half expecting like Sasquatch to be outside, you know, last night. That's where my head was at. I was rattled. I will I take rattled. any story involving cute animals that live well and are reclaiming the land and are being happy, other than the atrocities and the horribleness that's still going on in the news, unbelievably on a daily basis uh, with the racial inequality stuff. So as always, uh, we shared our thoughts at length about that stuff. Uh, yes. We're trying to keep it at a little bit of a more lighter note. Reviewing a comedy today. But again, like we keep saying, you can only take so much of that. So one, every once in a while, it's nice to have a distraction. If that distraction comes in the form of Yogi the Bear or Boo Boo coming up to your front porch and harassing your pug who's too busy tanning to notice anything, I think we'll all take that and smile. Uh, but okay, quality bear story, Mike. I'm glad you got that out. And we can shift gears and talk about the King of Staten Island, which is the latest from Judd Apatow. And we're giving it the full Oscar Sprint Profile treatment. If you've not joined us before for what we call an OSP, uh, what they are are two reviews for the price of one. We take would-be, should-be, and will probably will be at some point, either Oscar or Serious Award contenders. We give them a non-spoiler review for the first half of all OSP episodes. So if you've not seen the King of Staten Island yet, don't worry. The first half of this episode is spoiler free we will not ruin anything about it we will probably hopefully just entice you to want to see it even more there will be a spoiler warning in the middle of this episode followed of course the second half of every osp is all spoiler filled mike and i give you our thoughts about the plot the twists and turns and go in depth and in detail to all of what awaits the king of staten island script and plot we can start like we always do with the osps with a production profile michael yeah, The King of Staten Island is written and directed by Judd Apatow. Uh, he is the uh, writer slash director of Heavyweights, uh, the 40-year-old version, Knocked Up. You know, he did This Is 40, and he did uh, Funny People, and, and which was like four movies and, and two packages there. <laughs> and then he came back with Trainwreck, which was pretty tight, and now The King of Staten Island. Uh, this movie is clearly based on the life of its protagonist and star, Pete Davidson, who plays Scott Carland here. Uh, Pete Davidson co-wrote the script yeah. with Apatow and SNL writer buddy Dave Sears. I was surprised to see Pete Davidson get a writing credit on this, but I guess, you know, it is his life, so that makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's the, his life, but it's not really his life. Right. He never was this kind of, uh, you know, uh, arrested development type of character. He was doing comedy clubs at like 17, 18 and working like around the clock as a comedian. Right. So it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense because it's, you know, it fits his personal life in many ways. 
King of Staten Island also stars the Oscar winner from My Cousin Vinny, Marissa Tomei. She plays Scott's mom. World-famous comedian-turned-actor Bill Burr as firefighter Ray Bishop. Maude Apatow plays Scott's sister Claire. And Davidson's friends are also in the film. You have The Morning Show's Belle Powley. She plays Kelsey. The Nightly Show's Ricky Velez. Uh, Dimension 20's Lou Wilson. I would love to see him being an Apatow production here. Uh, and Moises Arias of Manos and Five Feet Apart. I, I, that's a eclectic group of friends. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, Moises, Moises Arias is like a dramatic actor. Bell Powley, the same deal. Like they're not known for their comedic chops, but then you got pure like improv comedians like Lou Wilson from Dimension 20. Ricky Velez seems like I, I haven't seen him before, but he was funny in this too. So they did a nice job casting that group of friends. And then you have like Bill Burr's friends. You have Boardwalk Empire and Fargo, Steve Buscemi plays the fire chief and Steve Buscemi's like the draw for like my dad's group. Like my dad will watch anything Steve Buscemi is in because of HBO and Boardwalk Empire, etc. This was the sweetest role of Steve Buscemi's career. He was so nice and so loving and so fatherly in this. And his character name is Papa. Yeah. So perfect. <laughs> Anyway, you got Pamela Adlon of Better Things. She is Gina. I've loved her career as well. She's been great on sitcoms. You have Dominic Lombardazzi. He's, again, from everything my dad watches, from The Wire to The Irishman <laughs> to Ray Donovan, because my dad can't pronounce Ray Donovan for some reason. You have Kevin Corrigan of Pineapple Express. And I was like wondering where we've seen him recently. He was in Netflix's Lost Girls. And he plays, uh, you know, Pete Davidson's uncle in this, or the mm -hmm. rich uncle. Uh, then you have, you know, Pete Davidson's real grandpa is in this movie. Stephen Davidson plays himself. Oh, I didn't know that. very cute. Uh, and then if you're a fan of stand-up comedy or, or music, there's a ton of recognizable cameos in this movie. We'll kind of mention some of those in spoilers. This was one of the weirdest movies in that every bit part, I felt like. And I'm sure there were some that weren't, but every bit part. I felt like there was somebody who was already famous and not for acting, not necessarily for acting anyway, I will say, but it was just like, oh, I know him. I know her. I know him. I know it was crazy. Well, Apatow has been doing this throughout yeah. his career. He's been giving a lot of people their start or giving a, a lot of people a chance to shine. Like there's a lot of comedy bits in this movie that are, you know, disguised as, you know, plot developments. But when you have a comedian delivering those comedy bits, it, it works for the right. most part. And, in, in this one and and it's also fun to see like davidson's family got a chance to be in the movie it's it's such a personal story for him so that was great yeah uh, absolutely agree with all that so we have for scores right now the meta score sits at a 68 for this one the rotten tomato scores currently at a 71 percent that's on 186 critic reviews as far as how the audiences are treating this it currently carries a 90 on rotten tomatoes but that's only on 652 reviews thus far and it does carry a 7.2 on imdb with just under 3,200 scores weighed in. So these are some high marks. We've seen, you know, movies with lower meta scores get picked for, for Academy Awards and for Golden Globes, etc. Do you think these scores are good enough or do you think they need it to be like book smart level or, I mean, it didn't work for book smart, but do they have to be higher to really get this one noticed? Trainwreck was nominated for two Golden Globes and that carried, I think, a 75 meta score when I was looking it up. So this is so it's in, the ballpark. in the ballpark. It's probably a step down. But again, I mean, Trainwreck came out in what was a normal year and this is not a normal year. So I, 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 I would be surprised to not hear this one do something in terms of at least a golden globe nomination 
How's that for a prediction? It'll do something, folks. <laughs> like the king of <laughs> I like the way fences feel when I sit on them, Michael. <laughs> the king of Staten Island was scheduled to debut at South by Southwest. Instead, it had its world premiere this past weekend on Premium VOD. It's a 24-hour rental, at least it was for me on Amazon Prime for 19.99 by way of Universal Pictures. Did you have the same deal? Did you get it on Amazon? Did you get it on Xfinity for for that uh, duration? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I I took it off uh, Comcast, which is my cable provider, and they gave it to me. It was nineteen ninety nine, but I had forty eight hours with it. Oh, you did? Yeah. Because I I would have wanted that. I would have watched it again. Yeah, I think I'm I going to watch it again. Twice. Yeah. I watched it twice, but I probably would have watched it a third time if I bought it on Xfinity. Oh, you can come over. I'll charge you twenty nine ninety nine. You could watch it again if you want. Well, I appreciate that. I have the Rona. Hey, for you, 25 bucks. Easy. The plot premise reads, Scott has been a case of arrested development since his firefighter dad died. He spends his days smoking weed and dreaming of being a tattoo artist until events force him to grapple with his grief and take his first steps forward in life. Yeah, I just said to the public, in public, that I would give you coronavirus just to smite you <laughs> for watching this film a third time because you would overcharge me to watch it. And yeah. I, I don't know if that's because of what the movie did to me and my psyche or because I'm an evil man going in. But I, 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 have to, I had to comment on that. Anyway, yeah, good premise. Uh, and Mike, you know, our expectations for this were pretty high, I would say. Yes. Uh, do you think... Do you think this movie, you know, met those? Do you think they ex- exceeded them? What do you think? Yeah, as far as how it weighed in, I think this might be Apatow's most complete uh, film. Wow. I mean, at least of his last couple, certainly. I've, I've always thought his best film might be 40-year-old version, all things, oh, version, yeah, virgin, all things considered. Um, but I, I was really, really impressed with, with the emotional weight this carried which really the emotional aspect of it hasn't been a problem with apatow's latest films it's been kind of more the length and the conciseness and the tightness of script i know Trainwreck was kind of a big comeback for him in terms of writing but i think this one surpassed the expectations i had and i was excited for this one from the jump as well so that's kind of saying a lot for me what about you mike it was a tale of two watches for me a little bit because i watched it on friday night and maybe that was after you know our uh, recording of the five bloods and I just mm-hmm. wasn't ready for a comedy. And I felt like my expectations were met in many ways, which made me feel somewhat good for some bizarre reason. Like I don't want a movie that's great. I just want a movie that's solid. Yeah. And I, I was texting you like that day. Oh, this is a solid film. It's, it's fine. Uh, but I rewatched it and then I'm like dying laughing on the rewatch. So it really has comedy legs. And I was going to, you know, make a joke about not having peed my pants like I did and, you know, knocked up, just made me flat out pee my pants. I'll just admit to the public I'm in my early 20s. (laughs) I peed my pants while I laughed so hard. And luckily I wasn't wearing khakis or or nothing. I don't think anybody noticed, but I was in public. Take the victories where you can get them. Yeah, I hear you. At least. This movie, I was at home and I, I, I was like upset. Like at least here, I could have peed my pants and it would have been more socially acceptable. Maybe just out case. of principle, you do it anyway, you know? So anyway, I just, you know, I, I, I urinated like crazy yesterday on the rewatch. <laughs> Good. So I made up for it. But yeah, this movie is really, really funny. And I, I guess I just wasn't, it was a hard, you know, double feature in the day, like, you know, morning, night double feature because we played hooky yesterday with the five bloods. And then I watched this movie. Uh, uh, Friday night, 
So it's a weird double feature. I don't know if that double feature works. It only worked less if you, if I put on Artemis Fowl in the middle of it, which is oh, I hear good just off. <laughs> uh, R.L. Stein, by the way, big fan of Artemis Fowl, says don't believe the critics. He tweeted that out yesterday. But uh, yeah, I, I don't believe. <laughs> I, uh, I I watched this fresh. I didn't have the burden of the Five Bloods, and I also stayed away from the news. Uh, all day yesterday before I took this in, I was just too oh, busy good. to kind of keep up with stuff and stayed off social media. I'm sure that played a role into it. Uh, I didn't have the weight of reality weighing me down of just how awful everything still is, even though everyone has a camera and you would think other people noticed that by now. But anyway, uh, so I was in this fresh and I, I think it surpassed my expectations. I, I'm very high on it. I won't lie. I'm very, very high on this movie. Well, I'm probably going to add points from this, you know, review because of you too. Because yeah, I, I know you were very high on it, and I, you know, I'm willing to be talked up because my second watch was good. So, yeah, all right, this is exciting. We'll see how good. how good this movie gets. Production values, surprisingly, there are a couple highlights, like the editing. I'm very impressed with several montages that play so well and just make this movie so much more fun to watch. Apatow's really good with this. He's done yeah. it throughout his career from heavyweights all the way through. Uh, I just love how he doesn't, you know, just override these montages with too many jokes because you can get ridiculously joking in a montage. Obviously, just every second of it, you can have, you know, be shown hijinks. It's about story first, though, with these montages. And then there'll be a little, you know, treat coming out of it, like the whole bed bugs thing and the firehouse montage, you know, that kind of thing. I just thought you get some really funny stuff, but it's kind of measured. Uh, throughout the montages. Yeah, I, I, he does it a couple times, too. You mentioned that. And this really, if you go back and think about it, this has been a staple of, of kind of Apatow's filmmaking. He does this to kind of enhance. He, he does. He uses a montage to make you love a character. Mm. Uh, and, and it worked, I thought, to perfection a couple times in this. And he does uses it a couple different ways to show you a couple different aspects, specifically about Scott's personality and his trying to, like, be a decent person. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought of you and I smiled cause I know you like your montages too. Did you have anything else with the site cinematography? I mean, it was all solid, but yeah, I, I, I mean, it was pretty, pretty basically Apatow, which isn't to say it was bad. It's a very professional looking movie, but he's not known for his, you know, stellar camera work or the way he does a dolly zoom or anything like that. So there's not a lot to comment on. I would say the score, there probably isn't that much to comment on either. The soundtrack was impressive. He shares that with the, how we rated the five bloods, I think, and Spike Lee's work. I, I didn't think the score was anything wonderful, but I thought the soundtrack was pretty magnificent. I felt less old during this movie because I recognize the Kid Cudi songs at the beginning and yeah. the end. <laughs> I I obviously am all about the Wallflowers and that hit song. Yes. That was a big song for me. And that's it, a big song for Pete Davidson and his history with his father. He used to listen to that song with his father in the in the car when he was young, when he was when he was, when he was seven years old, etc. So that's kind of a, a song that meant a lot for him. And it had a big moment in this movie. So that, that's a Hollywood Reporter article this morning. Uh, I also recognize that they're playing Red Hot Chili Peppers on the fiddle yeah. during this movie, yeah. which I just blew my mind. And plus, you had Salt and Pepper, you had all kinds of you know fun songs in here. So I was really happy with this soundtrack, and I didn't think I would be. I think I thought it was you know going in, I'd, it'd be too young for me, and I'd be like an old guy on the lawn saying, "I don't like this movie as much." Yeah, Pete Davidson was when he was on Hot Ones. He's good friends with Machine Gun Kelly, and I was raised as an Eminem guy, so I've always had that like kind of distaste in my mouth for Machine Gun Kelly after the tiff those two grown men went into. I'm in my 30s by the way uh just non sequitur there but uh <laughs> so I, I was expecting you know this kind of you too i was expecting to be kind of put off and i'm just being like i'm too old for this and but no they did a good job and that uh 
Well, what was uh, Scar Tissue was the song by Red Hot Chili Peppers that gets played yes. on the fiddle. I also wanted to mention Explosions in the Sky, which if you ever need to feel like you're flying through life, uh, put on Explosions in the Sky. If you want to feel like you're actually out of fire, put on Explosions in the Sky, which is what Judd Apatow used for the fire scene in this uh, movie, and it'll make you feel like you're right there. Cosine. In terms of the performances now, Mike, Pete Davidson is probably going to get some kind of recognition this award season. However, to put a damper on this thing a little quickly here, I think his ceiling is Golden Globes comedy or musical. There's no way in my mind he's going to have best actor Oscar legs. That's impossible. Anybody saying that right now is crazy. I love you, but you're crazy. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think I put to rest my uh, Pete Davidson Oscars (laughs) campaign after seeing this. He's certainly I mean, he's a decent actor and he's probably only going to get better. Remember, this is still a very young kid who doesn't spend a lot of times in movies. I mean, SNL, Bill Simmons made this point in this podcast, but he's absolutely right. SNL still doesn't really know how to use him. You can just tell right. they, they, he's a force there. They know they have to use him in some way. But I, I think this hopefully will tap off, you know, his career and, and get him going in movies. He was not the performance I was most impressed with, though, which is saying a lot because I thought he was still very good. But no, I share what you said. Uh, I don't think this is going to have kind of kind of Oscars. Like I think the Golden Globes is his ceiling. Absolutely, he reminded me of like an early Jim Carrey, you know, like transitioning to drama kind of Jim mm. Carrey in this. But th- there's a lot of acting for Davidson to do. That's what, that was my surprise here because coming off a of big time adolescence, it just felt like Pete Davidson having fun on set the whole movie and acting like Pete Davidson just with you know Eminem hair in yeah. a way so this movie he's doing a lot of acting he's he's showing his you know the the character suffers from some some mental illness problems and it, 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 he's doing a lot and it, the other comedians here are forced to reckon with a lot of their their issues and then you have anchors for the cast like Steve Buscemi and Mich- uh, Marissa Tomei you know, and he's playing off of them. I just, I thought he did a nice job. He, I thought he pulled it off somehow. Like there's a few moments where he makes a breakneck turn in the middle of a scene where I'm like, all right, you can't go from, you know, timid to big right. Pete Davidson laughing. You know, like that, that doesn't make sense necessarily. But, yeah, I, I forgive it very quickly because the scene turns funny or something. Judd Apatow is very, very good at directing talent. And getting the most out of his talent. He has been mm. for his career, especially people who maybe aren't used to being featured players in like feature length films. I mean, Amy Schumer, yeah, she's she's an actress, but she's also more of a stand up comedian, especially by the time she made Trainwreck. And he got a, a above average quality performance out of Amy Schumer through Trainwreck going off against a pro like Bill Hader. And that was still new for Bill Hader to do at the time, too. So Apatow knows how to hone uh, personalities and get the most out of any kind of level actor. And I think that might be a family trait because I know you want to talk about Bill Burr, but Mike, the performance I was most blown away by was Maude Apatow. Yeah, she was very good. I thought she was spectacular. As a kid, too. Her and her sister have been excellent uh, in all of their dad's movies. But you're right. She impressed me in this one. She should get a lot more acting gigs for for other directors going forward. They should see her in this. And uh, she really handled a lot of heavy dialogue with her brother. She goes from worried about her brother while being combative to crying alongside her mother in the very next scene to restrained hope when she has to turn and say goodbye to Scott because she's going away to cut. She's going through this litany of emotions and all the while she's got to be this strong, stoic member of the family because obviously, it's not a spoiler, I mean, the the father passed away. We know that. And she's got to kind of be the conscious of the family because the mother's 
seems to be holding on by a thread, and and but she turns out to be more stronger than any of us realize. But Pete Davidson's obviously having his own stunted emotional growth with it. I I was just I love the way she she played every scene. The dynamic changed uh, in the scenes with his sister because she was the straight man, quote unquote, the one that was having to pull off the drama, the one that was having to set Pete Davidson up to be funny in many of those scenes. So this was perhaps the first time where she was in one of her dad's movies and her dad didn't give her you know, a plethora of jokes. She did not have a lot of jokes at all. And I choose carrying those scenes. I, I agree with you. Yeah, I'm very impressed. Uh, to just paraphrase something that Judd Apatow did say on Simmons as well. He said there was one scene in particular that they took like eight or nine shots of, and he was in there giving her pointers every time, do it again, do it again, do it again. And then when he got to the editing bay, he realized the first time when he didn't give her any pointers was the best scene they ended up using anyway. Oh, that's great. So... <laughs> I must have missed that because I listened to most of that uh, podcast. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, Burr and, and uh, Apto, they've been on all the podcasts, especially The Ringer and Joe Rogan, et cetera. Right. That's been fun. Uh, in terms of listening to Bill Burr, talking to Bill Simmons, apparently like the structure of these takes is that they, they do what's on the script and then they have a couple improv takes. So they'll take like three doing the script and then they'll take a couple doing improv. And I think that's really smart because that kind of punches up the script just naturally. Yeah. And uh, it gave Bill Burr a couple zingers. My God, I was laughing hard at everything Bill Burr was doing. But he's also handling so many of the awkward scenes because it's obviously an awkward situation and you could go – you know, on the seesaw, you can have some down scenes that I don't think they want. They want those scenes to play for comedy. So he has to play it straight in those scenes and just let the, the you know, the natural funniness of the situation, you know, come to the fore. So I, I really, I'm really impressed with Bill Burr not going overboard in some scenes. And then obviously when he gets angry, it's <laughs> yeah. that's, oh, I mean, that's what you pay the price of raises, for. Every time he raises his voice, I'm laughing. I think Bill Burr, is a much better actor than any of us are prepared to like see Bill Burr through the vision, the lens of, because I, I remember even watching the front runner. I was impressed with what, what he was doing on film. I think he can actually, I think he's a much better actor than any of us are kind of like willing to give him credit for, but I'm with you. He was spectacular in this and this role. And yes, the role was kind of made to fit his personality. I'm sure. Uh, and you can see that the improv takes do come shining through. And when you have that many stand up comedians on set, even in the smallest of roles as they were throughout this, like yeah. Jessica Kirsten is in this movie and she's basically there for like two scenes. And I think as one line and she's a huge stand up comedian, but it's, you're going to, you can't help, but have a punched up script. You can't, you have to let them improv some. It worked like a charm because this movie is, is very balanced. They got the the plot through. It's a very clear, easy to understand plot that, that has a lot of reversals to it. But, you know, it's funny throughout and it, and it's not overly funny like necessarily a Sandler movie. Yeah, you know, right. it's, it's much more polished. In terms of the script, I guess we're transitioning. You know, I think Davidson should be really proud of this. I mean, it's a love letter to his city, to his dad, to his family, to his friends. His friends and family get bit parts in this. You know, his comedian friends, his musician friends are in this. He's got to be very proud. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I think this might be the tightest script uh, Apatow's put together. I agree. I'm sure Pete Davidson is going to look fondly back on this, and this is probably going to open a lot more career doors for him, too, uh, if he's taken seriously, not only as an on-screen talent, but also as somebody who's a writer. And I think I remember him saying that uh, he was usually written for a lot in SNL, uh, and they didn't know kind of what to do with him in previous interviews, but I know he's got the talent, too. Obviously, uh, he writes his own stuff when he's featured on Weekend Update and whatnot, so... Uh, 
again, maybe it's a, a matter of hidden talent coming to the forefront or Judd Apatow is shining a spotlight or at least allowing the platform for these create creative types to flourish. But yeah, uh, this I loved this script. I really, really did. I wonder if he's too young at SNL because half the time they use him there, or even more than half the time, I would say like 70 to 80 percent of Pete Davidson on SNL is awkward as hell. And it's not that funny or, or it's funny when he breaks, you know, like he doesn't do characters well on that on, on that show for the most part, I would say, you know, there's, there's a few yeah, times. He's not where it's a funny. traditional actor. Right. I- so but he gets he nails it here, like when he's comfortable. Uh, and he, when he's somewhere else, yeah. For some reason, he's nailing a character in this role. That's what that was my biggest surprise. Like, you know, this movie is not about like the procedural of him turning his life around, getting a job no, or whatever. No. It's about the relationships between all these goofballs right. and all the. It's a character-driven story, right. no question about it. Otherwise, we'd be making a, t- a movie about tattoo artists, which nobody wants. <laughs> I mean, this is this is about all of him, you know, mixing it up with the comedian friends and obviously with the the core members of this this ensemble. So I, I, I really appreciate that with this particular film. And I guess that, you know, lo- looking back, it's, it's what every Apatow movie is about. It's not necessarily, you know, plot driven yeah. so hard. So that, it, I, I appreciate that. It also probably helped. I mean, this is his life. You know, I mean, he has experience having worked through all this. So I'm sure it helps when you get the chance to play yourself sometimes uh, as a grounding. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, where, where these emotions are coming from, you could probably tap into them more easily easily because you're you're used to feeling them but yeah that's not to take anything away from him i'm, I'm with you I, I was impressed by him there's also a high degree of difficulty for these scenes because a lot of the scenes turn on dramatic payoffs so you get a comedy setup and this ha- i'm going to talk about this throughout spoilers but you mean you get a comedy setup where you get, they're riffing on the previous scene for instance or they, they just got a lot of goofy ass jokes right at the top and then oh my god they're talking about something serious especially with him and kelsey i thought uh, quite a bit the del Pauli character so you have you have that, that that's very hard to do to take something funny and then like put a damper on it that's- and there's twists and turns that are unexpected that's an apatow special too he, he does that and sometimes he does it too much he turns too much into the emotional uh aspect of what's going on and he kind of loses the fact that this is supposed to be more you're supposed to walk away from his films feeling good but yeah he he definitely does that i also wanted to comment on you mentioned the kelsey character uh Every woman, every female in this, I thought was written really well. And they were all the mature characters. Every female is the mature character in this movie, whether it's Marissa Tomei, whether it's the Kelsey character, uh, every female like was grounded, whether it's Claire, obviously they were grounded. They were the conscious of the film. They were the one pushing it forward and kind of like the moral compass. And every guy was just an abject mess in one way or another. True. At the same time, the girls are kind of messy, too, which is a happy thing. Like Marissa Tomei, she has a, a couple of flaws. I mean, she's struggling. Oh, yeah, they're not perfect this. characters. Well, right. that's what well, I guess I'm trying to say is you, you, you're able to do that without making flat characters. So I right. think that's a, a strength of this writing process because you literally got, you know, waitresses at the at the restaurant job he has just spouting some shit. I right. Mean, it's funny. <laughs> Like the evil shit. And then the girlfriend's kind of a mess where she's, you know, pulling all these crazy games with him. So I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed, I think th- it felt like a genuine script. Agreed. And it felt like, it felt like real life. And, and Maude Apatow's probably the, to come back to her. She's probably the best example. Like the, 
she says some horrible things to him <laughs> and it's still, you know, it's, you can sense that relationship being genuine. I mean, brothers and I mean, I have four brothers and we say some horrible shit to each other <laughs> all the time. And you, but we know where it comes from, I guess that it, it just happens, I guess with siblings. So it, it really works. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. I was just, I was really shocked by how tight and how well-rounded these characters, how tightly written, written the script was, how well-rounded these characters are, the character arcs that even a lot of the bit players have. And again, I, I, that that maturity was shining through. It was kind of the women that were telling the moral of each scene, uh, which, especially with a male writing room, it doesn't always happen. We've commented on that a ton. True. You got any more non-spoiler thoughts, or are we looking at watch or don't here? Uh, well, I think I've, I've given it away. I can go right into watch or don't, and I... I this is going to be a very high grade for me. And this was an enjoyable watch and I will be watching it again. And this is probably something I'm going to look to own on physical media and get it on Xfinity for now. So it's worth the $20 for folks looking for a funny movie. Yes. It's, I would say that it, the, the first watch feels much more of a dramedy. And then, you know, my second watch, I was able to just laugh more and, and relax. So maybe that was just a me issue. But uh, yeah, I would say it's definitely it's worth studying. And I'm glad we're, you know, we're going long today. But yeah. I'm, I'm glad we're able to study this one. It's a surprising uh, film study that's that's worthwhile, I would say. I didn't expect, like, I thought this was going to be a quick episode. I mean, what do we really have to talk about? But we got a lot to talk about and a lot to talk about in spoilers here. I have to have the sequel called The the, the King of the, the Naugatuck Valley. Naugatuck Valley. <laughs> Nobody cares, Mike. Nobody cares. <laughs> But I'm glad you're inspired to write a sequel to this about yourself. Spoilers ahead! This is a spoiler warning. Spoilers. Spoilers. Spoiler section for the Oscar Sprint profile of The King of Staten Island, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. If you've not seen the movie yet, this is a good place for you to hit pause, go rent it on premium video on demand or off Amazon Prime or whatever have you. Uh, it is $19.99 for you to rent. We will be here waiting for you when you come back to hit play. If you've seen the movie already, if you're just curious to hear our thoughts or if we've hyped up the spoiler section for you so much in the non-spoiler half that you cannot possibly go another minute without hearing our takes, this is where you want to be. All spoilers from this point on for The King of Staten Island, the Oscar Sprint Profile Review, brought to you by Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Michael, where are we starting? Well, we're going to start with a worse scene up front, and I was surprised that we had such a bad scene up front because I turned out I loved this movie, but I hated that first scene of him closing his eyes on the highway. The stakes of the movie, just talking about pure movie structure here, mm -hmm. the stakes of the movie never get to quote unquote life and death with his character later on in the film. So if you start off that dark, it doesn't make sense because you're not following through on it. When Little Miss Sunshine started off with Steve Carell's character, they follow through on it, especially with other characters in the story. This really didn't work to me for me on rewatch. First time I'm watching it, I kind of forget it quickly because the rest of the movie's so funny. And you, and you, and you all right, the movie started dark. All right, it, it, he talks about 
you know, having issues of wanting to hurt himself and, and being unstable, but he never really acts on it later in the film. And that's why, you know, this scene doesn't work for me because not only is he, you know, he's, he's negligent and he's homicidal almost, almost in that first scene is you're going to kill other people by doing that on a highway. I mean, what are you thinking? He's not thinking. It's just that that's so reckless that I, I hate that scene being in the movie without like consequences later in the movie because my greatest fear in life is teenage drivers. I don't know about you, but it still is. I mean, and that's just white privilege talking right there because it's my greatest fear in life. But it's it's true. Like I, I'm terrified of teenage drivers, and I don't want him. You know, I don't glorify that shit right at the beginning. I know they're they're not necessarily, but then you got a coincidence thrown in with, oh my god, there's an accident at that particular time. I really dislike that first scene. There are extremes in this script, uh, for as tightly written as I do think it is. Some of the uh, tougher moments go towards extremes that are a little tough to swallow in the moment, like the big thing he does to prove, it's like lash out and and when he's trying to get back and trying to figure his shit out is that he takes part in this pharmacy robbery and it mm. kind of comes up from out of nowhere. And it's the same kind of, it left a bad taste in my mouth as well as kind of that first scene did in your mouth. It's like, like that's he, at first he turns down the opportunity to be the lookout with his friends to knock over this pharmacy and steal all the oxys. And it's like, that's your point of emotional growth is that he's not going to participate in this fucking pharmacy robbery to take all these opioids and then it does i mean this film does get dark too they do later on go through with the robbery he does participate in the lookout because that's him lashing out and one of his friends gets shot and his friends could end up put in jail and it's like wow that kind of is a little fucking rough for what the tone of this movie has been so far and they just kind of he's not he's not necessarily you know, having all these psychotic episodes. Right. That's, that's what I mean. Like it, like it doesn't, I don't know that it equates. I, I'm, I'm, right. on, I'm on your side. Like this seems like a little, it goes a little beyond what the conflict would be or what this type of character would actually participate in. Uh, I'm, I, yeah, I, I'm with, it goes, it gets a little extreme at times. I agree. Well, they get into like, you know, scenes with his friends after that. Like you get that scene in the basement with his friends. Mm -hmm. It's really funny. He sneaks off with Kelsey and they have this funny, disgusting conversation about their sex. (laughs) Right. To start off the first half of the scene. And then the latter half of the scene, it is a, you know, an argument about him making impulsive decisions is an argument about, you know, why they can't be more official, why they're sneaking around. And she ends that with an incredible line that really sets up the film. She's like, I feel bad that you don't think you're great. I mean, it really moved me. So again, this was an example of kind of the scene turning, a comedic scene turning on the drama. And then you end with drama that drives the plot forward. The Kelsey Scott relationship is exemplary of Every high school girl that wants to go for the bad boy with the tattoos who disassociates <laughs> because she thinks he can change him. And every guy that's like loves sick and chases after them is never going to get it because they see movies like this and it always has a happy ending. And that's exactly what it was. Scott's the bad boy. He doesn't know what he wants out of life. He's kind of lost. He's got all those tattoos. He's the hooligan, but he's got a heart of gold. And that's what every girl expects from that type of person in real life. He's kind of an aged up version of that. And this right. is kind of the, you know, anti-rom-com in many ways, even though it kind of circles back. 
but it's I, I would say it's like the Hollywood's antidote to the rom-com in many ways because it does get darker like you mentioned before. So I don't I don't know. And Kelsey doesn't put up with his shit either. Like he she, she's the one that say, OK, it doesn't work. So we'll break it off. And then she's the one when he does come crawling later back when he's basically not that he's trying to manipulate her, but he really doesn't know what to do because he's homeless in that moment. And she points it out to him. Did you just fuck me for shelter later on? And then she <laughs> kicks him out again. And then she's resistant to him coming back when he is trying to be authentic and sincere. I, I did appreciate the writing of their relationship because, like you said, it wasn't a rom-com relationship. She wasn't this love sick puppy this forlorn lover she was very mature very realistic and about her approach and marissa tomei is that kind of you know mom that makes him a big beautiful breakfast but she also doesn't really take his shit for too long in this plot i mean she's probably the the, one of the last people to recognize you know she's got to really stand up to him but you know it's it's fun to watch their blowups. You know, this movie goes from like the friends dynamic to the family dynamic and the blowups within the family between he and his sister, between he and his mom, just over breakfast is pretty hysterical. You get the scene later on where she's a school nurse and the kid's like, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> that <laughs> was good. <laughs> really a funny scene uh, where he doesn't want to put on the suit, but obviously, you know, he's reckoning with his dad's death, just going to his sister's graduation party. It's really, you know, there's it's a jam packed script. I really liked it. Uh, you get the, you know, the, the friends back in the basement talking about the other guy getting catfished. I thought that was a running gag that just paid off beautifully. I, uh, I get, I like the uncle's house for the sister's grad party. Mike, I think it it got a little sticky at that point, but there was like a great, you know, back and forth between Davidson and that just like eighth grade kid. (laughs) You got any weed? (laughs) They did a, a really good job of keeping comedic through lines going yes and and they you don't want to focus on the drug dealing in this type of movie but they that is always present and always prevalent and it's also an indicator of the type of life that he's trying to well that everyone else knows he needs to grow out of and he doesn't believe he actually needs to grow out of it until he realizes he needs to grow out of it uh yeah i I thought it was very very well done and realistically written this isn't the type of movie where you want the protagonist to do a 180 by the end of it, because that's not believable. And and it's not believable in life either. I mean, if you're suffering from reckoning with whether it's a death or a lost lover or, you know, some kind of loss in your life, you're you're not going to turn it all around in two hours. You know what I mean? Like if you can get a 45 degree movement towards more quote unquote normalcy or to know you're going to be okay, that's more than enough. And that's what we want with Scott. Yeah, it's hard-won small victories, and he gradually changes throughout. Like, he'll have a big blowout with his sister, uh, then he'll watch his sister go off to college, and you get a crazy scene with him and his mom talking about Game of Thrones and rewatching that. So he's, you know, such an awkward conversation. (laughs) Awkward, really awkward. And of course, you know, what does that lead to? It leads to him and his friends going down the wrong path. The Keith Robinson scene with Robinson as a security guard at the abandoned orphanage. <laughs> so goddamn funny, especially with, uh, with, with your boy Lou there, mm-hmm. who's uh, just a great comedian. And uh, I think that that scene was a great setup for the beach scene, which is basically the kickoff of this plot, mm-hmm. which is, I think is just great writing because you have a comedic premise. Like the plot is actually funny. Never mind the characters trying to punch up the plot. The plot is funny because tattooing a nine-year-old in the woods <laughs> is so fucked up that it's kind of funny. And that happens to be Bill Burr, Bill Burr's son. And that next scene 
Oh my God, he, I thought he was 15. He looks like he's fucking four years old. <laughs> I know we said we didn't want to quote the movie that much, but that is so goddamn funny when he screams at him in that moment. And that's the mark and, of a good script too, is this, yeah. we have this two hour and 20 minute script here that is being uh, played out. We don't get into it until it's like a half hour in, but I felt okay with that because I'm just enjoying what these people are doing. I'm enjoying the building of these relationships and then letting the exposition of why Pete feels this way towards or why Scott, I should say, feels this way towards every character in his life. We're seeing the natural progression of that. Uh, it's really well done. I mean, the heart of this movie doesn't even really start. I thought a majority of this movie was going to be him in the firehouse. That only is really the last 40 minutes or so of this movie. Right. It's an episode of the movie. Right. So it, it really works because, yeah, Bill Burr comes into their lives. He was hilarious. And- a big sneaking around montage after a really great first date that was really charming just charm the mm-hmm. pants off of me between marissa tomei and bill burr you know it's funny because you know he it's it's kind of paralleling the restaurant storyline with pete davidson and they have to fight for his tips oh my god and then, <laughs> then, he, then when pete davidson gets knocked out the first time and his friend just starts dancing and saying now we're friends again i lost my shit <laughs> that was really for the hulk gloves i've seen creed a couple of times that was hysterical <laughs> And then, you know, later on at the restaurant, I mean, there's some funny ass lines in the restaurant. I know that guy, eggplant parmesan. It's just a ridiculous Corrigan line. That was funny here. Uh, You know, put put a boogie in the bread. I mean, I have stories from my family who worked in restaurants. Whenever I talk to my family members about working in a restaurant. I don't want to hear them. I don't want to hear them. I don't want want to know. Well, let's just say words of wisdom today. We'll get them out early. Be nice to your servers. Yes. Like yes. The, what was that Ryan Reynolds film? <laughs> Don't fuck with the people bringing your food. If yep. you're a dick, there's probably boogies and, uh, and horrible worse yeah. in your food. You, you can't. You really, you're really struggling over there. No, I can't but deal with that. <laughs> Mike, you have to be extra nice. I'm always very food. nice to everyone. <laughs> Good. You can't be a dick to your servers, folks. That's the words of wisdom for the day. Anyway, we could fast forward. We got the male bonding stuff at the Staten Island Yankees game. That's a funny ass uh, ending to that scene that was extremely, extremely dramatic. Talking about his dead father. And then, you know, Steve Buscemi makes makes fun of his shirt. And he's like, that's actually really funny. And that was a perfect delivery. It just killed me at the end yeah, of that scene. Yeah, and it was... You fall in love with every character. Buscemi's Papa character, he becomes important, but he's not a major player in the plot. I mean, the major players are Marissa Tomei, Bill Burr, Pete Davidson, probably Maud Apatow. But that, I mean, Pete, you know, Buscemi plays kind of a bit role, but he delivers his lines perfectly because he's Steve Buscemi and he helps you fall in love with Pete Davidson. If Scott reacted negatively there and like flipped out and just kept because he's going on this long speech about indignation and how can you be a firefighter and have a family when you know you're just going to lose and he's obviously projecting his father's death onto these guys, this group of firemen, and they take it in stride. I mean, they're not happy with him, but they they understand. And then so if if he flipped out in that moment, you could have you probably would have been like like, well, man, you, you got a lot of growing up to do. You're kind of a, a being sure. a baby about this. But no, he, he reacts in kind. He takes the joke in stride. And you see there's hope. There's always reason to hope. And you could see that this kid has a heart of gold. There's little nuances like that in the script that I think are genius. 
Yeah, there's there's no character assassination in this movie except for the first scene. You know, right, really. right, right. <laughs> they assassinated the character in the first scene, and maybe that you know hit me the wrong way. But you know, I mean, there's the dinner, the breakfast table conversation, uh, the funny line about Roger Staubach and all that from Bill Burr, and mothers laying the law down. Then he has to walk those kids to school, Bill Burr's kids, and the back and forth between him. And Bill Burr's ex, oh my God. Pamela uh, Adlon, Adlon should be in everything. She's so good when just, she's the driest, most sarcastic laden delivery love I think we have in Hollywood. Love her. And I love the scenes of him walking the kids to school. I mean, it's just a really funny back and forth. Uh, he kind of comes to the, the end of his restaurant days where uh, he, you know, uh, Kelsey comes to the restaurant trying to make him jealous. Yeah, you know what I appreciated too about the Kelsey Scott relationship, Mike? If this was a, a regular Hollywood rom com type thing, Pete Davidson would have walked those kids to school and the kindergarten teacher would have fallen in love with him. And that would have been the new relationship. And the mature adult fucked up in her own way, but still trying to handle her life and in a better situation than Scott Kelsey would have been forgotten about, would have been the rude ex-girlfriend side character. But no, it's the Kelsey-Scott relationship that comes back at the end of this movie and that the kindergarten teacher is just the side character. But I, I really appreciated that this was about this guy getting his shit together, or at least yeah. trying to start to get his shit together. And it wasn't just this regular love story. Or Kelsey would see the kids... And him, him working with the kids, and then she'd be right, like, "Oh," right, and then, right, right. and then the kid would do some grand gesture with holding up a sign at the end of the movie, right. "I love you." <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, they would use the kids as pawns, and it would be bullshit. Yeah, exactly. I totally agree with you. This is not. This is like an antidote to a rom com. So I really appreciate that. The movie does get dark with the the robbery at the uh, at the pharmacy. Robert Smigel is really funny though, going postal in that scene, uh, somehow making it funny. Uh, you have you know Ray confronting. Scott's character at the pool from all the trailers. That's pretty funny. When he screams, the Jets are going to come back. I'm dying. That's a conversation I've had in my life with my friends that have gambling problems, I'll say. I thought it was a great scene, though, because Marissa Tomei is so righteously yes. angry at the end of it. Yes. And she does something that's very drastic, but it's 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 great. So she she kicks them both out. Yes. And then, but then there's a progression of him going to his friends first. That doesn't work. Or, or he's really, you know, just trying to be a bum first. That doesn't work. Then he goes to his friends literally at jail and tries to try. <laughs> you came all the way here so that you can ask to, for me to stay. Then he goes back to Kelsey, you you know, the fuck me for shelter scene. And then, of course, he goes to his last, you know, option is to go to the firehouse okay. with Ray. It's I hated great. this. I hated oh. that ending. I, li- I like the progression. And they did a good enough job to build it up to where he's out of options but and he would go to the firehouse. Card, though to play he's got that card to play with ray if ray's still in love with right right mom then she yeah if this character is so wrestling with his dad's death and he just got kicked out of his mother's house because of the other firemen that he's trying to sabotage the relationship because his mother's starting to fire fall in love with him if he's that scared of the firehouse and firemen and fire departments in general he would never actually willingly go to the fire department would he that character would he ever actually on his own go there Maybe not, but they wrote four scenes previous. Uh, they did. They did a good job. I agree. I agree. So they're trying to explain away that it's his last ditch. I agree. Effort. 
So I, I'm okay with it. It's it's necessarily A to B or the Q to R or whatever. You know, it's at that point in the plot. Right. I think uh, I think it worked for me, but uh, that's interesting. You, so you don't buy him. You just wouldn't go near the fire department. If you're gonna, if I was writing it, and yeah, like I could write compared to Judd Apatow or even Pete Davidson, but like if I was writing it, wouldn't it be Ray running into him somewhere? I mean, this is where you can play a coincidence, and Ray needs to implore him to come back. And I, I the good thing about this is. Ray still had a problem when Pete Davidson does get taken in by the fire department. Ray doesn't want him around, and rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But that just adds to the fact that wouldn't Scott even more avoid the fire department if he knew Ray was that pissed at him for that long for ruining his life? This guy clearly hates confrontation. Or he, he at least hates responsibility and dealing with consequences, dealing with his actions. And Ray's his biggest consequence of any action he's had. All right, so you don't like the transition, but obviously the plot's got to, you know, deal yeah, they, with all yeah, the right. issues uh, yeah, between it's, it's Ray. A, it's a nitpick. It's a nitpick. Okay, so yeah, Ray and Scott, um, they have many confrontations there throughout, right from the start. It's like, I can't believe you go to the person who hates me the fucking most <laughs> to get the worst review possible. I mean, it's great. Bill Burr should just be the guy who goes on rants in movies. I just want him to go on angry yes, rants agree. in every single movie. It's perfect. And it, it, so then you get the Firehouse episode. He's hearing stories about his dad. He's working a tough job. Love he's that. cleaning toilets. And, you know, he's seeing them in action. Like, there's some moving scenes where you watch these firefighters and the heroism that they have to put on display every single day. And that, that, that was a moving scene where Bill Burr's character is actually, you know, going to work. And, and the fact that he had a ride along there uh, on the first year, kind of the middle, you know, fire episode. I, I thought that was great. It really grounded the story. And then you have a hilarious interaction with action bronson towards the end everything that dude was saying from fuck that's delicious he's my favorite man that, i can't i can't watch the show anymore mike because i'm on a diet i haven't eaten like a carb <laughs> i haven't eaten a carb all week now, this is the strictest diet i've ever gone on i'm fully blown keto right now it's vegetables it's meat i hate the world <laughs> well but, i'm sorry for your loss but yes but seeing action bronson here made me happy so uh, one, the heart telling, the heartwarming stories, and this is why Buscemi was in that role because Buscemi's the one that's got to tell him about his dad and how he worked with Pete, Scott's dad, and he adds perspective. Uh, Scott sees that his dad wasn't this angelic hero; he was this sure. coked out guy that made mistakes like everyone else does, and he humanized him and helped Scott deal with his pain more. That was a beautiful scene, very heartwarming, very touching. It's the emphasis, the exclamation point is put on the bottom of it because at the end of that scene, they're all singing one headlight by the wallflowers, except they're not actually singing it. They're just drunkly mumbling along, which I thought was hysterical. Uh, Action Bronson. I think I might've cried <laughs> when, he, when he gets taken. I mean, the stuff he's saying to not only convince Pete Davidson to take care of him, but actually at the hospital, it's the most nonsensical. It's poetry. Almost. He's he like, somehow pulls it off. How can he this pull it off? Gash in his stomach. He's clearly either been shot or stabbed or something. And he doesn't want the cops involved. So he asks Pete Davidson, Pete Davidson's like, what happened? He's like, I didn't stretch enough before I played tennis. I slipped and fell. <laughs> And then they get to the hospital. Tell my dad, I fucking hate his guts, but I love him at the same time. He'll understand what it means. I was dying. I was just dying the whole time. Can we just switch identities, please? Oh, my God. So good. He killed me and somehow he pulled off all that shtick because that was like the shtickiest the story yes. got because they're trying to get Bill Burr back there. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to have him be funny and distract you from the fact that this, you know, ER nurse should be fired. For not <laughs> right, right. They're just fucking there's a guy with a gaping, bleeding, open wound. And she's right. like basically sit there. 
yeah, sit there and wait. And uh, Pete Davidson's not speaking up either. I, I had a problem with that scene. But, of course, Ray comes back. And we, we forgot to talk about all the tattoo stuff because it's hilarious when they go back to the same bench where mm-hmm. he tattooed Ray's son <laughs> to tattoo more shit on his back. Mike, the reveal to Marissa Tomei <laughs> of his back and how bad those tattoos were and how silly and ridiculous those tattoos were. I was laughing so hard, but it's also a dramatic scene. It was almost laughing and crying, yeah. like legitimate crying in the same scene. That's impossible to pull off because it's the cathartic movement, a uh, cathartic moment of the whole movie. That back tattoo is Judd Apatow's directorial career in a nutshell. Like that's the exact tone of his career you start at the bottom and this is so bill burr uh, ray bill burr's character agrees to let pete practice his tattoo work because he realizes pete's this decent or scott's this decent guy his art he's actually serious about working on his art and becoming a tattoo yeah. artist none of his friends want him to tattoo them also by the way they're in jail so he's <laughs> he needs somebody and and so ray offers up basically as his olive branch offers up his back so pete, scott can make this tattoo on it and we we pan up from the bottom of the back to the top and the bottom Ray's like just don't put any stupid shit on there no Chinese symbols no logos no anything and the bottom of his unicorns he's got dragons it's all mythical creatures bad Celtics logo weird Chinese symbols that are on this man's back forever now but to pan up you see this beautiful portrait of Pete Davidson Scott Claire uh, Margie yeah, well, no, right. that's true. That's Eyes true. of the beholder, that's the mother's true. like, aw, <laughs> but it's not really well drawn <laughs> this either. sentimental picture, let's say, <laughs> of Scott, uh, Claire, Ray is there next to Margie, and Pete's, or Scott's dad is in the sun as well. It was, very, it, was, it was touching. It was very, very touching and hilarious. You're absolutely right. So I loved it. And then the kind of the epilogue is he's watching Game of Thrones with his mom. He goes and sees about a girl. He goes to you know meet Kelsey at the ferry and hangs with her in the city there, quizzing her, tell, tells her he's always loved her, and that's why he's always They're acting so good. fucking good for you, Kelsey, for resisting. Yeah. Okay, no, no. Don't, don't take no shit from no man. <laughs> It worked. It really, really worked. I, I'm surprised that this movie works as well as it does. Uh, but I think you're right. You know, trying not to go from A to Z with with a man's life, you know, life, right. birth to death. I mean, they're just trying to get him to start getting his exactly. shit together. Exactly. Exactly. Like, realize, realize you have to get your shit together, which is really the, the, the conflict of the whole movie because he right. doesn't – he's okay being a bum. And he basically comes out and says that at certain points. He doesn't even – even when he's talking about Ray's shortcomings after talking to Pamela Adlon and being like, what kind of grown man doesn't have his own place? He doesn't realize the irony of that statement. He's he's okay with his way in life. And then he – the the – pull of it the character development is he needs to realize that he's got to start doing shit so you got any other final thoughts here mike or are we ready to put some grades on this thing I, I can grade it man i've you know no surprise i am high i've been incredibly high it's a, a b plus all day for me 87 88 on that line i'm probably closer to an 88 right now that's probably overstating it that's probably extremely high but i really really like this movie yeah, I'm a B plus 88 myself. There I was go. at a B plus 87 on my uh, d- Google documents going into the second watch. And then I add at least a point to this. Maybe I'll add two, you know, uh, when I get to watch it again. But I'm not paying 20 bucks to watch it again and again. And right. I'm not paying 25 bucks <laughs> to watch it at your house. Well, tomorrow. fine. Don't support your friends. That's fine. I see how it is. 
So, yeah, no, we're very high in this movie and maybe in a diluted year or maybe just in any year, you know, we'll recognize that this was one of the best films of the year and that uh, all our friends who are just on the hype train of this right now on film Twitter, they're going off like he's going to be a best actor nominee. I don't think that'll happen because it'll slow our horses down. Yeah, but that would, that, should, that'll be a tough sell, I think. Should he or Bill Burr be in the comedy categories here? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, absolutely, I would say. I mean, you, I, I would be surprised if there's not some noise about this on the globe. If you want to talk about Oscars, I I would think screenplay might be the best of, as far as the major categories. That so it would be a long overdue Judd Apatow yeah. breaking into the best screenplay category with Pete Davidson. Because, I mean, it's an easy right. way to get them both something. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I could see a world in which that happens, especially this year. Probably not if eighth grade couldn't get it. This movie won't agree because it's still a bit formulaic like we talked about, even though it's a bit of a parody on the formula. But yeah, it's it's I would say I would say maybe a five percent chance. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, probably a little higher because it's just such a weird year. But yeah, uh, in there. Uh, But yeah, obviously want to hear your thoughts. I have not seen or heard uh, uh, anyone say they were let down by this movie yet. I haven't Mm -hmm. seen anyone overly negative. If you are, obviously, we want to hear from you and explain why. Did you enjoy this movie? Are you like us where you kind of suckered in by it and and really, really liked what you saw? Let us know. You can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, concerns, as well as thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything else we do here in the MMO Empire. You can leave us those. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. At MM and Oscar on Twitter. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com. And on Reddit, we are available everywhere you hear podcasts, which includes Apple Podcasts. If you would be so kind as to go on to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review, that would be really, really cool of you. That would make us the kings of Connecticut Island. Uh, Michael, you gave your words of wisdom. I think they are extremely wise. So what's coming next from MMO? Yeah, dude, uh, to repeat that, be nice to your servers. <laughs> Don't eat boogies. All right, oh, God. But what's coming next? Oscar race checkpoint. We got a lot to talk about from Tenant to Wonder Woman to No Time to Die. That got moved a little bit as well. We got a lot to talk about with the Academy. They have all kinds of initiatives that are extremely important. They're going to go to 10 best pictures. A lot to speculate about in terms of their date and how they would shuffle things around as well. So that's going to be a loaded ORC. And then I think we're going to move mmow to the start of the following week and do something fun for the end of next week as long as the world doesn't burn to the ground like it keeps doing so again everybody stay safe out there our hearts go out to to everybody struggling as always and and go listen to our other episodes i was glad to get you know get on the lighter side of things though today with this review but uh we do recognize that it's still it's still a hellscape out there yeah amen to all that man well said uh and look, when reality sucks, if you do need escape, and reality does certainly suck uh, way too often lately, uh, hopefully you can uh, come watch movies, get distracted for a little bit, and regain your uh, confidence and get some rest with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar, trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you very soon. Bears. Bears. <laughs>